happy Labor Day weekend. That's why we have about half as many people as normal in here. But I'm so thankful that you're here today. We do have some visitors. We do have some new faces. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. And, um, and I tell you what, like, you don't need a full band to worship the Lord, do you? That was good. So good. Um, but yeah, so welcome today. Like I said, we're going to be talking about Elijah this morning. And if you remember, if you were here back in June, beginning of June, I preached. And I preached also on Elijah. But we were in 1 Kings 18, and we were looking at a totally different side of Elijah's ministry and Elijah in general than what we're going to see today. Because back then in June, when we looked at uh, 1 Kings 18, we, we saw how Elijah was just used in an incredible way by God. Like he was being obedient, he was being courageous faithful to the words of God, doing exactly what God wanted him to do, and God did incredible things. Through, through Elijah, he brought a three-year famine to the nation of Israel, and all this came about because the nation of Israel had turned their backs on just serving Jehovah, and they had incorporated a false god, Baal, into their worship with God, and they were had both of them. They were hopping back and forth, worshiping both gods. And, and God, if you know anything about God in the Bible, he's, he's a jealous God. Okay? He, he wants all to worship him. He, wants, uh, he doesn't like to share the spotlight with other false gods. He wants the heart of all of his creation. And he warned the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy 11 that if they turned their backs on him and worshipped false gods, that there would be famine and there would be, uh, there would be a big spanking. Okay? They, would, they would get in trouble with God. And they had turned their back. So God brings Elijah in and he starts confronting the nation of Israel. You see, Elijah had a ministry of confrontation. He wasn't, it wasn't a ministry of comfort. Like anytime you see Elijah... He's confronting the nation of Israel for their sins. But through Elijah, God brought a three-year drought or a famine that came through the land, and it was terrible. And then after that three years, he sends Elijah to, to this kind of competition, I guess, to, to see which God is for real whether Jehovah or Baal. So they come, the 450 prophets of Baal come, and they spend all day trying to get their false god to bring fire from heaven to consume an offering. Because that was the challenge. Elijah says, okay, whoever's God, whoever's God brings down fire to consume this offering is the true God. And I want you, nation of Israel, to come today and I want you to choose between one or the other. Serve the false God or serve the true God? But we're going to figure out which is the true God by sending down fire. So obviously, our God is real. He sends down fire, consumes the offering. Elijah and the people of Israel there slew. Slew, that's such a fun word, a little King James word. They slaughtered, they killed the 450 prophets of Baal. And God has just used him to do this incredible, crazy thing uh, just this victory for God 
Because the nation of Israel, after that, they, they turn and they bow down and they say, the Lord, He is God. God is working in the hearts of these people. And through this, the nation of Israel, there's a glimmer of hope that they're going to just focus on the Lord. But remember, there's still been a famine. So after that, God brings the rains. And this little cloud over the ocean comes, and next thing you know, rain comes. And then uh, Ahab, the king of Israel at that time, he's heading back to the capital city, Jezreel, and our boy Elijah, he's running, like some say 17 to 30 miles. He's just running ahead of the chariot. Now, I'm doing a 5K in about a month, and I'm hoping that I get a little bit of that dose of power that Elijah had, but he's running 17 to 30 miles ahead of a chariot all the way back to the capital city, Jezreel. The Lord was using him in incredible ways. He was, his spirit was filling him and empowering him to do superhuman things, and it was just amazing to see. So Elijah gets back after running back to the capital city. The rains are coming after three years, and just imagine what he's feeling. He's really been living on the mountaintop over the last day. He's had this mountaintop experience, as we would call it, where God is at work, and he's being used, and he's seeing hearts changed. And, and besides being really tired, he's probably really excited, really excited. And he, he comes into the capital city, and the people are excited because the rains are coming. He's probably excited. But then something happens. And this is where we're going to see, pick up our story today. He gets a message. He gets a message from the queen. And that's where we're going to pick it up. Before we do, let's, let's pray and ask God to just open our eyes today. God, you are so good. You're so powerful. You're so amazing. You're so worthy of all worship. You're worthy of everything. You are the creator. And we worship you as that today. But we worship you because you've given us an opportunity to have a relationship with you. You're not just a distant creator, but you are a personal God. And I just pray that you would get personal with all of us in here today. That you would take your word and your spirit and you would talk to each and every one of us. And I pray that all of us would be open to what you're saying today. Because we want to be obedient to you. We want to be like Elijah and be obedient to your commandments, to your words, so we can be used by you, so we can be filled by you. So God, I just pray that you would do incredible things in this place today that only you can do. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles or your digital Bibles, however you've brought your Bible today, turn to 1 Kings 19. That's where we're going to be hanging out today. 1 Kings 19, we're going to look at verses 1 through 21. And I titled this sermon, Don't Stay Under the Broom Tree. I know that sounds weird right now, but you'll see why I, I labeled it that. Don't stay under the broom tree. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 1. It says, Ahab told Jezebel. So Ahab, he's the king of northern Israel. Jezebel's his queen. 
Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, May the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba, that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. But he went a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. So if you just remember, hours earlier, we see Elijah full of the Spirit. We see Elijah running for miles, full of the Spirit, like running fast, like and not getting tired, like being used by God all day long. And now we see that fear has come. With one message, fear has come to Elijah. And fear can find all of us. Fear can find us. No matter what we've been going through, fear can find us. And as we saw here, King Ahab, he goes and tells Jezebel what Elijah did. And Jezebel, she is ticked off. She is so angry. But who is this Jezebel? We don't know much about her. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But she was the daughter of a priest king of another place called Tyre. And his name was Ethbal. And he was a murderous, power-hungry man. Just an evil guy. A priest of Baal. He was a false priest. And he reproduced that in Jezebel. So Jezebel, even though she was married to the king of the nation of Israel, Ahab shouldn't have married her to begin with because she, she was a murderous, power-hungry woman. And she sought to do everything she could to bring in the false god Baal into the, the society, into worship, into every part of the nation of Israel, to pollute the nation of Israel. And she did this, and, and King Ahab didn't stop her. But this lady, she was scary. She was an evil woman, and Elijah knew this, and knew that that threat that she just gave him, she was going to follow through on. But how did Elijah go from being spirit-filled to fear-filled in just such a short period of time? How did this happen? How scum he was challenging 450 prophets of Baal and was bold in their faces, making fun of their God with no fear. But then hours later, he was running like a scared rabbit from a message of one woman. Doesn't make sense, does it? Doesn't make sense. But it got me thinking that, you know, if you ever think that Bible characters are anything different than us, this is an incredible example, like, of how Bible characters, no matter how much God uses them, they're just like you and me. We may look at Elijah and say, oh man, I could never be used by God like Elijah. But then we see Elijah here, full of fear, running for his life. You know, we're all human. We're all human. Bible characters are no different. 
But Elijah spent so much time obeying the words of God. And then all of a sudden, when this fear kicked in, he decided not to. Did God tell Elijah to run? No. He didn't tell him to do that, but he did. You know, we only need to run in fear if God tells us to. (laughs) Whatever God tells us to do, we need to do. Otherwise, we need to sit still. And we need to wait for the word of God. So let me show you where Elijah ran to. Show you this map here. He ran from the northernmost part of Israel down to like the second dots there uh, going south. He ran down there uh, to the southern part of Israel, a place called Bathsheba. And um, so he goes down there. It's, it's over 100 miles and him and his servant go down, and he goes down, and it says that he leaves his servant there for some reason. But I think whenever we get depressed and scared and afraid and get away from God, we tend to isolate ourselves, don't we? All those people around us that could bring us encouragement, could bring us accountability, could help us get out of this funk that we're in, we tend to, to push them aside, and we go hide. We tend to isolate ourselves. So I challenge you all, if you ever feel fearful, afraid, away from God, don't isolate yourself. Turn to God first. If you have a spouse, turn to them, and find your best Christian friends, and surround yourself with them. Let them encourage you. Let them get you out of this, this thing that you're dealing with. And, and I know that everybody dealt with different issues during COVID, but I know for our family, right before COVID, we had left another church because we felt God was wanting us to reach our neighborhoods more, and it was pretty far away. So we leave there, and then COVID hits, and we're, we're separated from a, from a church body, and And then quarantine comes and all the other stuff that we went through. And we begin just watching sermons on Sunday morning in our basement and watching a service. And and that's all great. But after a while, it gets a little depressing. You're disconnected from the body of Christ. You're disconnected from your Christian friends. and, And a little bit of like depression comes on you. And I can relate to... To Elijah here, they're like, man, it just isn't, I mean, after a while, you just continue to separate yourself. But I'm so thankful that the Lord brought us to living church and got us connected in a house church, that, that got us back connected with the body of Christ. And it, once we started, it was like a 180 for us, at least for me, and I know my wife has said too, that like, once we reconnected with our Christian friends, with the body of Christ, it totally changed our attitudes. It changed our heart. And, um, and just challenge you. Don't ever get separated. And if you feel that, run to your friends, run to your spouse, run to God, and let him encourage you. So Elijah, all alone, okay? He doesn't stay in Bathsheba. He leaves his servant there, and he runs... About a day's journey. He probably walked, but either way. He goes for about a day's journey. And then at the end of that day, he finds 
something. He finds a broom tree. So what is a broom tree? That's a broom tree, okay? You've probably seen pictures. But broom trees are amazing in the desert because, look, they create shade. It's the one thing. Water and shade is is the thing you really, really want in the desert. But Elijah, imagine him walking for a day in the wilderness, the desert, and then he comes to a broom tree. And he's all tired. All day long he's been thinking about these things that are going on in his heart and his mind. and, And he just gets to a point where he's overwhelmed. And he lays down under a broom tree. But I don't think Elijah's thinking straight. Because remember, he runs from Jezebel because he's afraid he's going to die. But then he comes to the broom tree and he asks God to kill him. I don't think he's thinking straight, right? But whenever we're scared and depressed and running from God, we don't always do the smartest things, do we? And that's where Elijah's at. He's in this place of fear and depression and and he's overwhelmed and and he's totally forgot that a day before, a couple days before, he he was calling down fire from heaven and God was using him to change the hearts of the nation of Israel. He's totally forgot this. He's in about the lowest place he could go. He's hit bottom. He's hit bottom. And he's asked God to kill him. He thinks that he is worth more dead than alive. Have you ever thought that? It's a thought that may have crossed your mind. But let me tell you, that is a lie. What Elijah said there, just just kill me. I'm, I'm not worth any more than my ancestors. Such a lie. We are all worth so much. You know why? Because God made you. You're, a God, you're God's creation, and God loves you. You're worth so much. You're worth so much more alive than dead. God can't use you when you're dead. So if you ever had that feeling, don't let it. Just get rid of it. Get rid of it. But maybe you can relate to Elijah. Maybe you've, even today, maybe you're depressed. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're ready to give up on it all. But I challenge you, don't give up. Don't give up. Because you know what? Even though you may think that you're alone, that ending it all would make it better, God is there with you. God can find you in your trouble. God can find you. And that's where we pick up our story next. God can find us. And let's look at verse 6, the end of verse 5. It says, suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. So Elijah's under the tree, just saying, God, kill me. And he falls asleep. And then all of a sudden, an angel, I doubt if this has ever happened to anyone in here, but an angel comes and nudges him and says, hey, get up. Get up and eat. And then he looked, and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. And he said, get up and eat, or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And then on the strength of that food, 
He walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. And he entered a cave there and spent the night. No matter what condition you're in, God can find you. He sent an angel down to tend to Elijah. He can find you. And better yet, he is with you through all of your junk. But now that Elijah is exhausted and he's hit bottom, God can build him back up. Elijah's at a place where he's got nothing else to give. Now God can work. Now God can build him back up. And what did he do to begin with? Step one, he got him some food, right? He said, get up and eat. Does eating food ever make you guys feel better? A little bit of rest, a little bit of good food. It always brightens my day. And maybe that's just me because I'm a guy. But anytime you eat some good food, get, get a good night's rest, it totally changes your perspective a little. You know, it just makes you feel better. So Elijah, he has a good night's rest, gets up, gets some good food. I mean, notice that God didn't give him moldy bread and some dirty water. No, this is hot, fresh bread, fresh cooked on the hot stones right there. However that works, I've never made bread on stones, but whatever it was, this is probably great bread. It's fresh, it's hot, and then he's got water there to drink, gets up, eats that, but he's so tired, he, he needs more rest, so he sleeps again. But God is still there. He sends the angel again to tend to him again. Because he knows Elijah is, is at rock bottom. And it takes time to get off a rock bottom. Okay? But what did he give him? He gave him bread and water. Can anybody think in the Bible, you know, what the Bible uses bread and water to symbolize? I mean, word of God, right? Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus, and uh, he's being tempted. And it says in verse 1, Matthew 4, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted, check this out, 40 days and 40 nights, we'll see that a lot today, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And he answered, it is written, man must not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This bread that we see that's such a staple in so many cultures is an incredible picture of the Word of God. And so he starts to, to feed Elijah bread. And then this water we see in Ephesians 5.26, he says that he's going to be cleansing the church, you and I, with the washing of water by the Word. You know, he uses this bread and this water to, to represent the Word of God and how it's going to change us. You know, it's food for us. It cleanses us. We see Jesus as the bread of life. We see him saying that uh, there's, this water gives us life and all these things. So he, he feeds him bread and water. He didn't feed him a Big Mac. You know, he didn't feed him like rabbit or something. You know, he, he feeds him bread and water. And it's very important when we're at our worst to get lots of bread and water and rest, right? It helps. But our path of healing is not going to be instant. 
It's not going to be instant. It's going to take time. That's why he sends the angel a second time and gives him more food because God is patient. Whenever we're at our worst, God is patient. But he's not just patient, he's persistent. Because God doesn't want you to stay there. He didn't want Elijah to stay there under the broom tree. He's wanted to be persistent to help the healing come along. So after he eats that food for the second time, remember it said that you won't be able to make this journey without it. So after he eats that food, he goes for 40 days and 40 nights walking through the desert. And if you look at that map again, you'll see this is even farther than what he traveled before. And like this isn't like beautiful, lush farmland that he's traveling through. We're talking about desert, wilderness. He's probably got sandals on. Like this is a rough trek, about 190 some miles down to this Mount Sinai. Incredible journey, but it could take about a 12-day journey, but it takes him 40 days and 40 nights. Partially because of the terrain, probably, but God was using this time to commune with him. He was using this 40 days and 40 nights to, to get back tight with Elijah. Elijah had run all this fear, all these things. He needed his faith rebuilt in God. He needed that time with him. But we see, keep seeing this 40 days, 40 nights, 40 days. So what is with 40 in the Bible? 40 is a special number in the Bible, and it symbolizes a period of testing, tribulation, trial, probation. Because we see in Genesis 7, we see Noah's flood, which lasted, the flood was 40 days. We see Moses in Mount Sinai, the same place that Elijah was going. He was in the mountain for 40 days, 40 nights, getting the Ten Commandments. The Israelites, they scouted the promised land for 40 days in, the, in Numbers 13. Goliath, remember David and Goliath? Goliath, he called out to the nation of Israel to challenge him for 40 days in 1 Samuel 17. The prophet Jonah, he preached to the city of Nineveh that they would be destroyed in 40 days if they didn't repent in Jonah 3. And then Ezekiel, the weirdest prophet, I think, Ezekiel, he laid on his right side for 40 days to show Judah's iniquity. Uh, that would have been a weird thing to do. Uh, but Jesus, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in Matthew 4, as we saw. Jesus walked with his disciples for 40 days after the resurrection. You see, God uses this 40 a lot. The Bible's written by 40 people. Uh, when we turn 40, our metabolism, you know, tests our willpower. It's a trial. But, but this 40, it's a special number. And God took Elijah on this 40-day journey to build him back up, to reconnect with him to build up his faith, to get him back to a place where he was going to be usable by God to do more incredible things. So I challenge you, if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling separated from God, spend time with him alone. 
I just told you, find friends when you get depressed, but it's okay to spend time alone with God. Just don't isolate yourself away from God. But spend time with Him, just like Elijah did. I would have loved to known what they talked about on those 40 days, how God interacted with Elijah. But then we see Elijah, he, he gets through the desert, he gets to Mount Horeb, and he enters a cave there and spends the night. And the next thing I want to look at is God can restore us. So Elijah gets to this cave. And then it says, suddenly the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? God asks him a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they are looking for me to take my life. You see why he has fear in his heart? See this perspective he has? Then he said, this is God saying to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. And at that moment, the Lord passed by, A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah says, I've been, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies. He replied, But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left. And they're looking for me to take my life. So his 40-day journey ended in a cave with a question. What was that question? What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, Elijah had gone through a lot. He had been running in fear, found himself under the broom tree, depressed and suicidal. The angels took care of him, brought him back a little. Then he spent 40 days traveling to this point. So... Elijah's come a long way in the last 40 days. So God feels like it's okay to ask him this question. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? So what is he doing here? It forces Elijah to look at his heart. He's not asking, Elijah, what are you doing in this cave? Obviously God knows what he's doing in the cave because he just led him there. But he's asking him something more. What are you doing here in your heart? Why are you here and not back in Jezreel where I left you and didn't tell you to leave? What's going on here? Why are you here today? God's less interested about our physical location, and he's more interested about our heart location. See, Elijah, he doubted in his heart, the protective power of God. And that's why he ran. 
So God's coming around, giving him a chance to, to recognize that and to look at his heart and to change. You see, God isn't the God that is going to force us to change and force us to do what he wants. God wants us to do it because our heart's behind it. He doesn't want Elijah to go back to Jezreel and do it because he's scared God's going to step on him. No, he wants him to go back and be used because of his heart. Because of his heart. So I ask you guys today, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Obviously you're here at church, which is great. But in your heart today, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Look into your heart. Are you here because God wants you to be? Are you here because maybe you're running in fear from where God has told you to be? Or maybe you're here because you just have to be. You feel like your heart's not here, but you're just here because you're supposed to. But I want you to check your heart today. Why are you here? Why are you here? And be honest with God. Be honest with God today. Why am I here? So what is all this wind and earthquakes and fire? What's that all about? What is this all about? And you know, anytime you see God coming down, showing himself... There's earthquakes, there's fire, there's wind, because he's an all-powerful God. But notice in this passage, God's not in all those things. He's not in all those. He's in the still, small voice. He's in that soft whisper. You see, Elijah didn't need a God that would come rumbling down and scare him and show him, you know, show his power. What he needed was a small voice. And guys, God will be the God that you need. He can be that strong God that gives you a kick in the pants when you need it, but he can also be that soft, small voice when you're really hurting and you really just need that. And Elijah at that point just needed a small, soft voice that said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? So, finally, let's look at how God can redirect us. You see, God brought Elijah so far. He brought him to this cave eventually, and he's back to a place where he can hear God. He can listen, and he can reply to God. And let's look at verse 15 here. And we'll finish this up here. It says, Then the Lord said to him, Go and return by the way, you came to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you are to anoint Hazael as king over Aram. You are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Mahoi, as prophet in your place. Then Jehu will put to death whoever escapes the lord of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. But I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that is not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah left there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, as he was plowing. 
Twelve teams of oxen were in front of him, and he was with the twelfth team. Elijah walked by him and threw his mantle, or his cloak, over him. And Elisha left the oxen, ran to follow Elijah, and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. Go on back, he replied, for what have I done to you? So he turned back from following him, took the team of oxen, slaughtered them, and with the oxen's wooden yoke and plow, he cooked the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he left, followed Elijah, and served him. You see, to be fully restored, we can't sit in one place forever in our depression. We can't sit in one place uh, in our sorrow. To be fully restored, we have to be redirected to go out and do what we were called to do, to fulfill our purpose in life. You see, Elijah was at a place where he had dealt with a lot of the fear and depression and all these things, and God was able to redirect him then. He gave him instruction on what to do. Do you know your purpose today? If, I was, if God was to say, you know, you're sent, redirected, go do it. What is your purpose? Think in your heart right now. What is my purpose? I mean, the Bible gives us some, some big things. We're supposed to bring glory to God. That's one of our purposes. We're supposed to share Jesus with others. That's a big purpose in our life. We're supposed to make disciples. But maybe you have individual things the Lord has led you to do. Maybe he's led you to do something that you're afraid to do. And maybe you're like Elijah, laying under the broom tree on that, on that, <laughs> that subject that God has brought up to you. But what's your, what's your purpose? Where are you at? See, God even instructed him to refi- find a replacement, to go out and make a disciple of himself as a replacement. You see, like, God never gave up on Elijah. And he encouraged him, said, there's still 7,000 people in Israel that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Don't worry, there's people there still. You're not the only one. So I want you to go back, and I want you to do these things. So he does. He goes back. He, he takes that direction, that redirection, and follows it. He's obedient to the commands of the Lord again. Isn't it beautiful how God has brought him full circle? Right? And that's what he wants for us. When we're in a rough place, he wants to bring us full circle so that he can give us instruction on what to do. So that we can be used by him. So it's so cool, I think, when you look at verse 19. It says, and Elijah left there. Elijah left there. He left the cave. Are we hiding in a cave? Are we living in a cave right now? Maybe God's in there talking to us, but are we just hiding in that cave? Maybe God has something for us to do. And we're living in a little bit of fear to take that step. But Elijah, he was willing to step out. He had that faith again in God. And he stepped out and found Elisha, which if you know anything about the Old Testament, Elisha was even more powerful and used by God in even more ways than Elijah was. Just incredible. So you ready to leave that place today? 
You ready to step out of that cave and go do what the Lord wants you to do? You know, I really hope this passage encouraged you. I know it was a lot of like kind of personal, depressing things, but, but I hope it encourages you and gives you hope that no matter where I'm at today, where, where my heart's at, that the Lord is there and the Lord wants to get me out from under the broom tree, into the cave, and then back on the field, okay? I hope it's encouraging to you. I hope it gives you some hope. And maybe you want to pray with someone about those things today. Uh, Tim, he's going to be over here on the side. And, and anyone else, you know, uh, we're kind of short on other pastors today here. But yeah, Tim will be over here. Anyone that's around you, feel free. You know, find someone and pray with them. I'd love to pray with you too. Uh, just from where you're at and just asking God to get you to that next step. So why don't the band come up, the Jones brothers, and, um, and why don't we close out in prayer? God, thank you so much that we can learn so much from a book that was written so long ago, and people that lived so long ago, and yet it applies so well to our life today. We're all human. You know we are. You know that we're just dust. We know that, that you are the only one that can help us be amazing. The only one that can empower us to do great things. And I thank you that you are a God that's patient and persistent and full of love that you don't just give up on us when we're at our lowest, but that you desire to bring us to a place where we can be used by you again. So I just pray for each and every one of us today to check our hearts, find out where we're at, and no matter where we're at, that we'd turn to you, that we'd ask you to get us to a place where we can obey your words, where we can obey your direction, where we can be used by you, because that's why we're still here, to be used by you, to bring you glory, to reach people for you. God, I pray that all of us would get to that place. I thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your faithfulness every morning. Your mercies are new every morning. I pray you be with us this week as we go out in this world that will try to beat us down, that will try to bring fear, that will try to make us flee and run. Help us to be strong and bold with your power so we can bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.